Roberto, one of the pastors here on staff. It's so good to have you guys. Thank you all for joining us. We appreciate and love you so much. So as we get ready, uh, we'd like to, I would like to introduce, of course, our one and only Rachel. She's going to give Hi, us a testimony. Buddy. Let's give her a hand. Thank you all. Amen. Good afternoon, you guys. Um, I just wanted to share a quick testimony. Um, I don't know if a lot of you guys have seen on Facebook, there were two babies born on the same day, Jerry's baby and Robin's baby. And you know what? It started getting me to think about how precious babies are. And here Christina is walking with her precious baby. And when you look at a child, man, you think, and you especially a newborn to you, say, wow, how new and how precious this life is. And as a parent, even as an aunt and uncle, you're going to spend money on this child. You're going to lose sleep on this child. And you're going to do everything for this child. And, and I started thinking about how God sees us. You know, God says that he made each and every one of us, you know, in our mother's womb, that he saw us and he created us. And, man, that's how he sees us. Just like we look at a precious baby, we see a child, we see a newborn, even a child that we're, that's growing up, and we say, man, how beautiful this child is. I would do anything for this kid. Man, how much more does God love us? I want to read you this scripture. It's um, in Luke 11, and it's verse 11. Um, it says, you know, it says, you know, <coughs> I'm sorry, let's see. It says, you know how to give good gifts to your children. It says, if your children ask um, for bread, would you give them a snake instead? Or if, you ask, or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you simple people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And so right now, I mean, even our lives, we can ask Jesus, man, Holy Spirit, meet me in this place. Holy Spirit, meet my need. Holy Spirit, give me your presence. And, and the Bible says here in this promise that just like we would see a child and, man, want to give ourselves to them, God is saying, man, I want to give my Holy Spirit to you. So, man, even before the music starts, can we just close our eyes right now and let's pray together. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your presence today. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you for your spirit, Lord Jesus. And I just pray that, God, that, that we would know that we are precious in your sight, that we would know that you love us and you value us, oh God, just like we would a baby. God, you see us and you, we ca you call us your loved one, Father God. So I just pray that you would encourage everyone today with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Can you just give him a hand clap of praise this afternoon? It's so good to see you guys. Well, we're going to start this song. It's called uh, Everything. One, two, three, and. There you go. Put your hands together with me. Hallelujah. Come on, sing this with me. I'm chosen. Your throne to claim this crown. 
Can you raise those hands to the sky right now? Come on, he's on that throne today. He's on the throne today, yeah. He's on the throne today. I'll walk in the promise. Say, I will walk in the promise. Walk in your victory. Walk in your victory. I'll walk in the power. Say, I will walk in the power. I won't. Yeah. 
Yes, you are, Jesus. You reign today. You reign, King Jesus. You reign today, God. We have faith, oh Lord, that you can do amazing things in our lives, God. Every season, God, we're going to press on. We're going to push forward, God. God, I just pray for encouragement today in this place that we would know that you're walking with us. You're walking with us, Jesus. God, every promise in your word is yes and amen. Every promise in your word, we say yes and amen to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. For the before you think the next song is going to come. Can you just stay here for a moment right now? Come on, stay here for a moment. Can you just close your eyes with me right now? And if you're trusting Jesus for something right now, can you just lift that up to him right now, you and Jesus, just between you and God? Whatever your need is right now, can you just lift it up to him? Say, God, I'm lifting this to you. I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm not going to worry about it. Right now, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, God, with my relationship with my family. I trust you, Lord God, with the finances, oh Lord. I trust you, Lord God, with my school. What am I going to do, God? What am I going to do, Lord? What I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you, Lord. Come on, can faith grow right now in your life and in your heart? Right now, we trust you. We trust you with our children. We trust you with our lives, God. We trust you, Lord, with our siblings. We trust you, Father God, with our workplace. We trust you, Father God, with our heart, Lord. With the worries that we lay out to bed, Father God, we lay it to you, God. Right now, we trust you. Come on, just say that with me. Say, I trust you, God. I trust you, Jesus.
about Jesus when I and when I think that God that God his son not sparing sent him to die sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on that cross come on can we sing about it that on the cross my burden shall come when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation with shout to be in your presence. Church, if you love to be in the Lord's presence, lift up your hands if they're not already up. God, we are in adoration of you. How great you are, oh God. 
you are so great. You are so good. You are so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our worship, so worthy of our hearts and lives. Surrender to you, Jesus. You make our souls sing. We thank you, our great God and Savior, for loving us, for dying for us, for choosing us for being with us, for never leaving us. Oh God, you are an ever-present help in trouble. You are the God who leads us, who sees us, who walks through the storms, who's with us on the mountaintops. Come on, guys, you serve a God who is present. We serve the almighty God. There is no one like him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Oh, Jesus, there's nobody like you. And we worship you today. We adore you today. We honor you today. We sing praises to your name because there is no name like the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved. Your name is Jesus. 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 Such a beautiful name. We love you, Lord. I want us to sing that song together as a church, just a cappella, just the voices, then sings my soul. Come on, lift up our voices today. My Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sing. Jesus, you're so great, God. And Lord, we enthrone you, God, in our life. We enthrone you over our marriages. We enthrone you over our future. God, over our children, over our workplaces. God, we want you to be the center. We enthrone you. You are great, God. You are great in our trials. You are great when we're in pain. And you're great when everything's going fine, Jesus. And we love you and we thank you and we worship you. No matter what season of life that we're in, God, we thank you that you are near, that you are close, that we can abide in you and be present with you and talk to you and walk with you. You are a great God, and you love us, and we thank you for that great love that you've lavished upon us. You call us your sons and your daughters. We thank you for making a way for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Give the Lord, the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is worthy of our praise, our worship, our love. We serve a good God. At this time, you may be seated. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International. I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. And as I begin to do that, our ushers are going to pass out the elements for communion. We're going to partake of communion together as a church family. Amen. I'm going to be speaking to you out of the book of Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 
This message is for those of you who need to get right with God. You're not saved. You've never been born again. You've been rejecting the commands of the Lord to get right with him, to come into a relationship with him. This is for you. Let us encourage you because God wants all, all people to be saved. He died for every single person to come. Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys were saved because you were a sinner? Come on, that's everybody. Everybody who is saved today, you got saved because you needed a Savior to save you from your sin. That's who Jesus came to save. He came to heal the sick, and he came to save sinners. And we were all born sinners. We were all born into sin because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. The disease of sin came into the whole human race. But Jesus came in kindness, in love, by his mercy. He came to make a way for us to receive forgiveness of sin, to be washed clean, to be made in right standing with God. And we cannot do one good thing on our own apart from the blood of Jesus covering us. The most noble thing that you could think of is still like a dirty rag before God. That's exactly what the Bible says. So our righteous deeds, all of our good things, what religion teaches us to do, the Bible says God looks at them like dirty rags because they're not covered in the blood of Jesus. And so I want you to take inventory of your life. And if you're not right today, I want to let you know that the kindness and love of the Father God, the kindness and love of our Savior is drawing you, is wooing you through his mercy and his grace. And you don't have to go and fix things anymore. You just got to come as you are and allow him to change you and make you new. This new birth, this new life is for you today. And you don't have to wait one more single moment to get it. You receive it like a gift. Because eternal life is a gift from Jesus. And all we got to do is take it. So with all eyes closed, I look across this room. If you know you're not right with God and you want to get right, you want to live your life for Jesus in full surrender and full obedience, when I begin to pray, I want you to pray to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Let him know you want to get right with God today. Jesus, I thank you for every single person in this room who is hearing the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you came to die on the cross to save us from our sin and from eternal damnation and hell. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for your body that was beaten for us, God. And we accept the new life, God. I pray that they would choose today the new birth, the new life that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. In just a few moments after we take communion, during our fellowship time, we're going to have prayer workers that will come up at that time. Come to them and receive prayer if you want to get closer to Jesus. Get your life right or get plugged into our discipleship. They will pray with you and for you. Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me right now as we uh, prepare to take communion together as a family. The reason why we take communion on the first Sunday of every month, it's because this is an ordinance that we practice together as a church. It's something that we do because the Lord commanded us to do it in remembrance of him. And the reason why we preach the gospel to everybody is because we want you to have the opportunity to come before the Lord with a clean heart, a clean slate, getting right with God as we partake in this, having a, a, a pure heart before God. Let's read in Matthew 26, 26 through 29 before we take it. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. 
this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after finishing the kingdom of God series that is so powerful, we are going to partake of this with Jesus in the new kingdom in our Father's kingdom, and he hasn't done it from the day that he did it with his disciples. He's waiting for us to come. So we do it now in remembrance of the Lord as we wait for him. So as you take the wafer, I want to pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for this wafer that represents your body, your hands that were pierced, your, your feet that were pierced, the crown of thorns that was put on your head. You did it for us, Jesus. You did it because you longed for a relationship with your creation again, and we thank you, and we remember you, and we're waiting for you, Jesus. Let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Lord. God, we pray for this grape juice that represents your blood. We thank you that your blood washes us clean from our sins. It heals us by your stripes. We have been healed. We thank you for your healing power, your saving power. And we remember you today. We thank you for your blood that makes us new, that gives us this new life, this new birth through the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Let's partake of the juice. Rachel's going to lead us in a chorus. Let's turn our attention towards Jesus again towards the cross, towards what he did. Think about what he brought you from, what he took you out of. He brought The Bible says he brings us out of darkness into life. Let's think about what Jesus did for us.
And we thank you for raising our life from the dead, oh God. We thank you that we can have life and life to the fullest in you. We thank you for new life. We thank you for new birth, oh God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for making us new and empowering us to live for Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo, God is good. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Let's confess our confession of faith together. The reason why we do this is because this is our Christian worldview. This is how we see the world around us. On the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and the eternal reward of believers in Jesus, and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Spend some time fellowshipping. Meet somebody that you don't know. And if you need prayer, Ricky and Carol are here to pray for you.
today. Come on. All you guys, not only do you get to sleep in coming to the 1 p.m., but you gained an hour. So you guys got to come ready, full of energy. Welcome to Metro Praise. On behalf of all of the staff and the leaders, thank you for joining us. Our services here are every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Then we have every Friday, Elevate, 7 p.m., 11 to 18 years old. If you know anybody in the age group, they've got to be here on Fridays. Come and check it out. We want you guys to join us for our All Nations Dinner, November 15th, just a couple weeks away, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Both services will be participating in this. We're going to have an awesome time displaying all the different kinds of foods and desserts from different nations. So come hungry and come ready to share your goodies, okay? Look to your neighbor and say, share your goodies with me. <clears throat> Don't be stingy. Come ready to share. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Uh, people, the two greatest commandments Jesus gave to us. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. The way that we want to connect you to the church and connect you to Jesus is through our life groups. In the back of your handout, if you turn it around, you will see the schedule that we have for this quarter of life groups. Find a place to belong. Find a place for you and your family to get connected. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week, kicking it off today. Single men and women, 18 to 35 years old, meeting here at the church at 4 p.m. They're going to have a blast. If you are single in that age group, please meet with them. Go and be a part of that. Tuesday, our Resistance Elevate Life Group. I love it. 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at the church. Wednesday, Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group. 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. meeting at that address. Elevate's blowing it up this week. So bear with me here. There's a lot going on. Wednesday, Kingskins. Infant to 11 years old, 6.30 at the church. And I just want to mention to all parents, if you have children in that age group, it's every week. Drop them off. Go do laundry. Go have a day night. Get that hour and a half to yourself and let them get discipled. It's a powerful time for our children. Thursday every week, gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Meet that at, at that address. They're blowing it up for Jesus. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies for you guys. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house. I know that you guys may be new to the church, coming second service. They are our pastors, uh, and they come to the first service. So don't be shy because there's people you're sitting next to that go to these life groups, and they can take you with them. So we have two for you. 18 years and up, 7 p.m., there are the addresses. Find one that will meet the needs of your family. Child care is included. So if you're an adult, we want you at those Friday Bible studies. You're going to get closer to God, be encouraged in your walk with the Lord, and build friendships in the church. Then Saturday, Ambassadors Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old. Somebody's excited. 3 p.m., meeting at the church. And then Saturday, Evangelism. Let me get some shouts for evangelism. All ages, 5 p.m., meeting at the church. Let's go out there with the fuego de Dios and preach the gospel on the streets. Be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have. And I always encourage you guys, if you've never done it, it will refresh you. It will challenge you. It will grow you really in your walk with the Lord. So then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders in the church ready to take this journey with you. You're not called to live for Jesus by yourself. Let leaders help and guide you and teach you some important lessons from the Word of God. When you graduate 101, you'll get into the 201 class called Disciples That Make Disciples, where your journey will continue. You'll be trained to be a leader in the church, and you will be a disciple that makes other disciples so that we can send you out and win a city and win the nations for Jesus. And our goal 
here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 churches around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. Look to your neighbor say, I'm taking you with me, whether you like it or not. All right. We are on section four of the Disciples Giving book. We're coming to the end of the year. There's 52 lessons in this book. One for every week of the year. Section four is all about hindrances that keep us from being obedient to Jesus. Today is lesson two, overcoming laziness. The definition of a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. How many of you guys understand what a hindrance is? How many of you guys know you have to overcome them? We have to overcome these because they will um, keep us from growing in the Lord. Here's the scripture that we're going to be reading, Proverbs 18.9. You can follow along on the screen, Proverbs 18.9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Let's learn what that means. Number one, lazy in work. The Bible clearly teaches that if a man doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Second Thessalonians, excuse me, 3.10. Therefore, every able-bodied adult should work. Look to your neighbor, say work. Whether inside or outside of the home to support themselves and their families. So we should not be lazy. We need to be working, providing for ourselves and our families if we are able because it brings glory to God and we're able to build a life of blessing here, okay? Number two, lazy in obedience. This is a whole other level. The Bible is also very clear that God's commands should be obeyed immediately and not postponed to a more convenient time. This includes obeying his commands to give tithes and offerings. So many times we find ourselves in, in our walk with God where it's just um, we're going to obey when it's convenient for us. But that, that can turn into resentful obedience. So some children, maybe some teenagers, okay, think about your life. Think about what your mom and dad want you to do. Sometimes you have resentful obedience, and that's not the right heart that you should have with your parents. And as Christians, sometimes we have that with God. So we want to obey at all times, humbly and openly, not just when we want to or it's convenient, but because it, God commands it from us out of a relationship of love. And number three, laziness is brother to destruction. If we choose to be lazy rather than hardworking and obedient to God, we will suffer destruction in this life and in the one to come. So let's not be lazy because we don't want to experience destruction in this life and the life after. We need to be diligent, hardworking with our hands, providing for our family, honoring God, not being lazy with the tithe and, co and the, the command to give freely. Amen? Here's a summary. Overcome laziness with hard work and obedience to God. Let's apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have been lazy in your work or obedience to God. And three, ask God to give you his strength to do all things, including your job, for his glory. How many of you guys want to do that? We're not alone. He gives us the strength to do it. So he'll give us the strength to be obedient, the strength to overcome laziness. Let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If that is you, please stand up to your feet with me as we prepare to give God our very best. Thank you for the water, Chris. Amen. How many of you guys are excited to give to the Lord what he is worthy of? 
Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income and an offering is anything above that. That is an amount between you and Jesus. And we designate that towards missions and towards our building fund, which you guys know we're in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're doing it together. We're so close to the end of the year. That lit up sign will be, will be here before you know it. Let's stay faithful to the, um, to the commitment we, we made before the Lord so that we can make that happen together. We have two convenient ways for you to give and purchase items in the church. One is online uh, using your debit or credit card. So if you want to do that, one is online at our easy-to-use website, and the other one is in the back. You can see me after service if you have questions about that. Let's recite this together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you've been so generous to us. You show us what it means, God, to be generous. And I pray that we would be faithful, that we would not be lazy, God, but that we would obey you and follow your commands with our whole heart and humility, God. And I just pray that you would meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that you would bring increase to us, that we could be blessed to be a blessing, that we would win a city for you, a nation for you, the nations of the earth, that everybody, God, would hear the gospel through our giving. I pray that you would bring increase, God, that your kingdom would increase on this earth, and that we would be used by you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would bring honor to you on our jobs, everything that we do with our hands, God, that we would be faithful to provide for our families, God, so they could bring you glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give, and thank you so much for your generosity. Right. How many are ready to hear the word today? Say amen. Amen. Can I get some high fives for my panais? And That's what they say for the Filipino women. There's panais and panois, right? Did I say it right? All right. Good, good. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 15. Good to see all my friends here today looking good, young ladies in the house of God. New family here, Armana and Armano. Are you Filipino? Oh, I got a Panoy, and then you're a Latina? Oh, and Filipino. God bless you. Good to see you guys. High fives for some of my favorite couples back there. Yes, yes, yes. Open up your Bibles to John 15. I love my second service, folks. Because of you guys, we're able to keep growing as a church, you know, and that's what's important for us. Let's not lose sight of that as we fill up these chairs. Amen. We're going to fill up these chairs with our friends. So we are starting a new sermon series called Abide. Everybody say Abide. 
So just to let you guys know how we do it in the church, we do sermon series. You know, some pastors preach a new message every week, just, you know, whatever the Lord puts on their heart. But we're in more in the custom of preaching sermon series. So I like to preach uh, in months or, you know, seasons, the same kind of message. So we just came out of the Kingdom of God series, preached that for two months. That was September and October. Before that, does anybody remember what the summer series was? Yeah, it's all about that grace, about that grace. No devil, it's all about that grace. And we used to have that song going, so I mean, a lot of fun there. And now we're going to be talking about abide, okay? So if you are a first-time visitor, you're going to love today because you're going to be able to start right at the same page as everybody else. And if you're a regular attendee, get ready to learn some new goodies. So let's open up to John 15. If you're there, say I'm there. Thank you. We're going to read 1 through 10, verses 1 through 10. This is out of the New King James Version because I want us to hear the word abide. The NIV, it's another English version, which we use a lot here, and it has the word remain, okay? Remain, abide, and stay all mean the same thing from the original Greek word. But for this sermon series, I want to use that word abide. Now, as we read these 10 verses, you're going to see the word abide come out of Jesus' mouth 10 different times. So every time you see the word abide, I want you to read it out loud with me. So everybody say abide. Okay, so you guys are ready. Here's Jesus talking, starting in uh, John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, thank you, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's keep going. Verses 5 and onward. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide, thank you, in me and my words, abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now listen to these last two verses. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I mean, do we get the point here? Jesus is talking about abiding. This is so important. We should not miss it. Listen to this introduction or follow along on the screen. Abiding in Jesus is the most important out of the the fundamentals and the foundations of our Christian faith. It incorporates all the important doctrines of the disciples' identity and their purpose in the kingdom of God. And remember, we just learned about the kingdom of God. So a great principle, a foundational principle of living in the kingdom of God is abiding in Jesus. Therefore, our connection to Jesus, anybody hear the word connect today? Connect, mentor, send. Our connection to Jesus as the true vine, somebody say the true vine, 
thank you, will determine our eternal destiny and our relationship with God. So abiding has many important things in our lives. And so I want you to see the illustration. Jesus is talking to an agricultural people. We talked about Jesus' parables before and how Jesus used things of that day. Jesus is talking to people who understood what it was like to plant vineyards. There were three major uh, trees and plants that Jesus used in a positive way for the Christian and for the people of Israel. The fig tree, the olive tree, and the vineyard. The grapevine. These are three things all throughout the entire Bible that God uses to talk about us and how he sees us as an example. Now, as you look at this, this is what you're seeing is a vine, that big old branch right there. Uh, big old, I don't want to confuse you. This big old thing here is called a vine. Everybody say a vine. Now, the smaller things like this little green thing connected to the fruit, what is that called? A branch, okay? Now, who is the true vine? Jesus, who are the branches? We are, and we're going to learn about what the fruit is because Jesus talked about the fruit. Now, who is the vine dresser or another word for that gardener? Who is that? The Father, good. So you see the illustration there, and here's the picture that we need to get in our mind as we do this sermon series for all of November and Lord willing for December. Do you want to be a fruitful branch in God's vineyard? Do you want to bear fruit in your walk with God? Do you want to have success upon this earth and kingdom rewards? If you do, abide with Him. Do you love God? Do you want to grow in your love with God? Do you want to share that love with others? This series will teach you how to do that through abiding? Do you want things to be pruned, cut out of your life? Do you want transformation of your life, character, conduct, habits? This, this sermon series will encourage you to allow the pruning of the Lord so you can bear more fruit. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let us look at some of the definitions as we start the sermon series. Don't always get to do this in the weeks going forward. So today, let's really hit on the foundations. Uh, number one, Jesus is using the uh, literary device called an allegory. A parable is more of a make-believe story. An allegory is a literary device that communicates ideas and, con and concepts in, in pictorial terms derived from the world. So it's basically like what we would just call an example. He's just giving us an example. A parable is more of a story. This is more of an example. We've already answered this, so you guys are getting it. It's pretty obvious. Jesus told us the true vine is Jesus. It's him. The vine dresser is who? The father. Vine dresser simply means gardener. He's dressing the vine. He's cutting the things, pruning the bad ones, getting uh, the bad branches, cutting those out, cutting out the weeds, you know, protecting that vine from animals. That's what the gardener's doing. The branches are Jesus is what? disciples. Now notice the difference here. It didn't say Christian or just simply believers. In verse 8, it says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. See, a lot of people check off Christian on their census or say, I am in the religion of a Christian, but they're not following Jesus. They're not a disciple. A disciple is a student of Jesus, someone that lives like Jesus. Now, a true Christian is supposed to be Christ-like, because that's what that word means. But do you know in the New Testament, Christian is only found about two times? The word believer is only found about six times. Guess which word is used over 230 times to talk about people who love Jesus? What term? 
disciples. And so remember, we're not making make-believers, we're making disciples. Because you could say, I believe in Jesus like I believe in Abraham Lincoln, but Abraham Lincoln doesn't change my life, and that may not change your life just because you say you believe in Jesus. Belief has to be grounded in transformation. It has to be a trust. You just can't say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, like I said, I believe in Martin Luther King Jr., but that doesn't mean he's changed me. You can also take a quarter and flip it into a wishing well and say, I'll become a millionaire and wish upon a star. That doesn't mean it will happen. So remember, the Bible, uh, Jesus taught in Matthew 28 that we're not to go into the world and make believers. Make believers. You get that? Make believers. You get the play off the word make believe. We're not to make believers. We are to make disciples. Can I hear an amen? So that's very key that you see. We are to take Jesus' words seriously and bear fruit. So there isn't a uh, different type of a Christian. There's like the radical disciples and then the lukewarm people. No, no, no. Really, there's only one kind of Christian, and that's a disciple of Jesus Christ. The other kind Jesus is not pleased with, he says he'll spit them out of his mouth. Now, when we get to the fruit, this is that uh, theological term here that Jesus uses over and over and over again, but it's not really defined. And so uh, all the people who study this, the scholars and the commentaries that I read, they all have different opinions of what the fruit is. So just take, for example, in verse 2, it says, Each branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away, but every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it can bear what? More fruit. But he never tells us what that fruit is. So we don't hear Jesus say in this allegory, hey, let me now tell you what the fruit is. He says in the verse 1 there, he says, I'm the true vine. So we know who the vine is. He says, my father is the vine dresser. We know who the vine dresser or the gardener is. He then says later on that the branches, we are the branches. But he ne- uh, in verse 5, he says, you are the branches. Somebody say, I'm a branch. But he never tells us what the fruit is. So here's what I like to do as a good pastor. I study all of what the theologians and scholars say and also what the Bible says. And guess what I came up with? I came up with at least five things that I believe Jesus was referring to. And here's why I don't think Jesus was specific in listing it. Is when Jesus is vague in these terms, it's because he's saying an all-encompassing term. And as you look through the Bible, the term fruit is used in a variety of ways as you're about ready to see it means the fruit of the spirit number one success in ministry number two good works number three number four prosperity and number five wisdom and so whenever we look to the bible and we see the term fruit being used in a good way we can apply it to this message and go that must be some of the things that god wants to grow in my life so let's go to the first one fruit of the spirit galatians 5 chapter 5 verse 22 Now, how many want some fruit of the Spirit in their life? Amen. So would anybody say here, I have enough of the fruit of the Spirit? Would anybody be so deceived or prideful to say that? No, but would everybody be willing to say, I desire the fruit of the Spirit? So let's look at this term. Look at it, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul has just discussed about the deeds of the flesh, the things that we should not do. But this is what he says we should do. But the what of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. So don't you think that this would relate to the kind of fruit that Jesus said we would bear? How many think that would be applicable? Do you think I, as your pastor, have played a trick on you? Jesus didn't name the fruit, but he speaks of it in general terms. And here in other parts of the Bible, we see the good things that fruit does in our lives. Let's read these nine uh, um, 
uh, manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit together. One, two, three. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So as we look at, to thi at this sermon series, what we should be doing is asking ourselves, do we want the Lord to develop in us the fruit of the Spirit? Here's a nice thing to know about the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits, plural. Love is not like a banana and then joy is like an apple. That's not how it's looked at here. What the fruit of the Spirit is, it's a singular fruit like an orange that has multiple aspects and dimensions to it. So after you peel off that orange, you can take off one sliver, another sliver. Is everybody tracking with me? So it's the singular fruit of the Spirit with nine different manifestations. You know the good news about that is that if you have the Spirit, you have love, you have joy, you have peace, you have forbearance or patience. You don't have to go somewhere else. And if you have one, it's a sign that you can have the others. So God is not holding anything back from you. But what He does want to do is cultivate that fruit in your life, prune out the things that would take away your patience, prune out the things of your attitude in your life so that these things can grow forth more. Everybody say, through the Spirit. Thank you. Now let's go to the second one. Fruit also refers to the success in ministry. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. And this is actually one of the ones, uh, the terms here, that the theologians actually really agree with predominantly meaning the fruit of the Spirit because, uh, no, rather the fruit of John chapter uh, 15 because in that context, Jesus is talking about them going out and being his disciples, hearing uh, being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, etc. And so if it were to mean just one thing in the context there, Brother Ricky, if you wanted to know that one thing, if you wanted to take a safest bet from all the, uh, the, the theologians, it would actually be fruitfulness in ministry. So let us not discount this going, oh, well, I, I, I want the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm not really supposed to do ministry. Ministry is not that important to me. No, most theologians would say that if you were to pick one, it's Jesus talking about you bear fruit in ministry, you bearing fruit in making other disciples, you bearing fruit in impacting people's lives, meaning if people see you at work tomorrow, are they going to take a taste of your life and go, mm, you taste good, your attitude tastes good, your family tastes good, are they going to have the fruit of your life and say it tastes good, don't look at her weird because she's laughing, it's funny, y'all can smile too, it's just church y'all, look, look at me and smile, come on, y'all got to wake up today, I got one person laughing, y'all my power squad right there. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I owe you both lunches and dinner. Okay. But here's the thing. That's, that's what should be in our lives. There should be fruit. We should be fresh and fruit. We should be rooty tooty, fresh and fruity. Come on. So look at what, and by the way, do you want your friends to go to hell? I mean, if we take the gospel seriously, we should not want anyone to go to hell. We shouldn't want anyone to suffer the wrath of God. And so what that means is, is we've got to take our ministry seriously as our call to be disciples. So look at Paul. He's talking here. And he says, well, you know what? Back up to verse, uh, let's say, verse 2 so you can hear the context of Paul. Listen to him talk. To God's jacked up people. Is that what he says? To God's sinner people. To God's messy people. What does it say? To God's 
holy people in Colossia, or to God's holy people in Chicago, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. You know what, that's how I feel as a pastor. When I think about you and I pray for you, and, and I hear about the stories of your testimonies and your faith for God, I get so encouraged. That's what Paul's doing. Now look at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, verse 6, that has come to you in the same way, excuse me, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit. Everybody say the gospel is bearing fruit. Thank you. And growing throughout the whole world just as that has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's what? Grace. Look at three sermon series summarized right here. Abiding for fruit, being in the kingdom of God with the gospel, and all about God's grace. That is amazing, tying some concepts together. We see here that we are to bear fruit in the ministry because the ministry is bearing fruit around the world. There are people getting saved in churches all over this city. There are people getting saved in countries all over the world. We're planning our mission trip to the Philippines in March. They're experiencing massive growth of their churches there. There's God moving in Latin America. God's moving in Africa. God's moving in China. Some churches here in Chicago are building the biggest buildings that our city has ever seen for God's glory. All of us should be bearing fruit in our ministries. And your ministry doesn't just stop when you uh, start when you walk into this church. It really starts when you walk out of this church. I know that some churches have a banner over their door that you can only see when you're leaving, and it says, welcome to your ministry, or welcome to the harvest field. Because when you walk out the church door, that's where ministry is. Ministries on your job. Ministries with your family. Ministries in the community that you live in. Helping others, serving them. You know, Jesus never had his own church building, but Jesus had church everywhere he went. Think about that. Jesus never had a church building, but Jesus had church everywhere he went. Jesus sat by a well, had church with the woman by the well. Jesus went to a pool where the handicapped were at, had church there. Jesus was out by the lake. How many like nice days at the lake? He had church there with the fishermen. Jesus brought the kingdom of God everywhere he went. So you need to do the same. That, the ministry that uh, I'm talking about is the ministry of a disciple and lear learning to serve God. And we'll be talking about that in this series. Let's go to our third one, bearing, or, or rather the fruit of good works. I have two passages from Jesus and Matthew. But since we're already in Colossians, let's just scroll down to Colossians 1.10. Just four verses down, you'll see him continuing to use, Paul, that illustration of fruit. And look at what he says here now fruit is. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You know that we're all supposed to live a life worthy of the Lord? Somebody might say, well, Pastor, I got saved, and I'm not really a good Christian. Doesn't Jesus just love me the way I am? Yes, he does, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He wants you to live worthy of him. I love my daughter, even though she makes mistakes. My son peed on himself two nights in a row. I still love him, but I believe he can walk worthy of a three-year-old and stop peeing on himself. Amen? How many believe Christians can stop peeing and, and, and peeing on themselves? whatever. How many know that we can start changing our own diapers, grow up and have our own food and always instead of always coming to the tea, getting the, the milk, right? We can have our own steaks, our own food. So you live a life worthy of God. God wants you to live a life worthy of him. Don't say, I can never do that. Say what the Bible says. Let's all say it together. So that I may live a life worthy 
of the Lord and please him in every way. Come on, somebody say, I will please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Come on, how are you going to do it? Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great patience and endurance and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. I don't feel like I'm qualified. Yes, he qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of light, all synonymous there. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, 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 of God. We have been given the kingdom of light. We are to bear fruit in every good work, pleasing the Lord in every way. Why? Because he strengthens us with his power. You go back to that illustration. How are we getting the power of God? From the vine. We're connected to him. Connect, mentor, set. We are abiding in him, connected to him, plugged into him, remaining in him, staying in him. And as we do, we get the life source of heaven. Whatever that vine has, the branch gets. Whatever God has, he gives to you and I. That's why he says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'll tell you what, if I had a tethoscope right now, stethoscope, I still can't say that word from the first service. You know the thing I'm talking about nurses having, doctors having, they put it on people's chest. If I wouldn't have had my tethoscope, how do you say that word? Steth, is an S there? Stethoscope. You guys got to pray for me. I'm going to my doctorial classes tomorrow, and I'm having trouble pronouncing that word, okay? I need help to do well tomorrow in classes. Stethoscope. If I took a stethoscope right now and I put it onto these, uh, these grapes right here, would I hear the little branches start talking and going, I'm trying so hard. I can't do it. I need help. Come on, grape. Come on, grape. Push, push. Would I hear those things talking like that? No. The vine gives the branch the energy, the power, and it happens naturally. The Bible doesn't say work in me, work in me, work in me. No, he says abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Why? Because when we abide in him, we get the power from him. We get the strength from him. So God is not asking us to be super achievers. He's not asking us to be superheroes. He's saying, will you simply be a branch that stays connected to the vine? It's in that humility that we find all the power that we need. And some of you may say, well, pastor, bad things happen to good people. That's right. But you know what? All things work together for your good. God sees the big picture. You're in his garden, and he's taking care of you. The next thing that we see of fruit is prosperity. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. This was one of the first scriptures that I ever learned. And it's a beautiful scripture that teaches us the promises of God. Psalm chapter 1 starts off with, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the way of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields their fruit in season, and their leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. That's what God promises the blessed man, the righteous man or woman, the one plugged in, connected to Jesus. 
Look at this scripture here as I quoted it to you, but look at it. Verse 3, that person, that blessed person who does not walk in the way of the, the sinners or stand in their way or sit in mockers' seats, you know, delighting in the law of the Lord, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You know what? You have to ask yourself, is my source today in the economy? Is my source today in the job that I have? Or is my source in the stream of living water? You know what? I've been to India. I've been to Mexico. I've seen severe poverty, but I have seen people prosper even there in the villages. You know why? Because the definition of prosperity in the Bible isn't making it rain at the store or the, you know, the, the buying a Lamborghini or Rolls Royce or designer clothes or at the club. The Bible's definition of prosperity is more than enough. More than enough. So when I was in the village of Chilapa in Nayarit, Mexico, and they had enough food to feed their family and give some to their neighbor, they were prosperous. When I was in India and they had enough rice to feed their family and give it to the poor, they were prosperous. You see, God will prosper you, give you more than enough. Now, if you don't want more than enough, give me what you don't want, amen? And then I'll give it away and make sure it reaches the right people. So don't take failure as a setback. Take failure as different steps to success. Sometimes you've got to step back to step forward and move in a new direction. Many times I haven't prospered in the moment, but by me sticking with Jesus, the source of life, I saw God prosper me. And I want to encourage you, that's part of the fruit. And we're going to talk about that in this sermon series, is God prospering on your job. You may say, Pastor, I'm just just a janitor. Well, be the best janitor, and if you spend your life working there, be a janitor that teaches other janitors so they have to make you a manager of janitors. Be the best that you can be. You ever seen Undercover Boss? Every boss wants every uh, every person in their company to love their job and do their best, whether it's picking up garbage. I knew a pastor that picked up garbage here in the city. He loved his job. He did it well. It gave his family insurance, and it prospered him to have more than enough. Hey, it's it's good to be a garbage man and serve Jesus than to serve Jesus and have no money, right? I could, if I can serve Jesus and have money, I would rather do that than serve Jesus and have no money. Hello? What if you could serve Jesus and be in health? Would you rather serve Jesus and be in health than serve Jesus and be sick? There are promises in the Bible, and we should stand on them. Now, I'm not saying that sickness is our fault, but I think we should pray for healing when we get sick. And if we can't get healed, then we go to the doctor and thank God for using the doctor. But I believe that God is the great physician, and one day we'll raise from the dead and live forever. No matter what, we prosper. Do you believe that? I want to talk about that during this sermon series. And then lastly, uh, wisdom. Everybody go, wisdom. You got to get deep when you talk about wisdom. This is like Obi-Wan Kenobi type stuff, you know. This is like Yogi. Everybody go, wisdom. Was it Yoda? Yoda? Okay, I said Yogi. That's like Yogi Bear, you know. Okay, Yoda. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31, the book of wisdom, and see if you see uh, notice another example of fruit. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31 gives us an example of fruit, and then it uh, gives it in the the term of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Look at this. The mouth of the righteous, from the mouth of the righteous comes what? The fruit of, come on, say it again, comes the fruit of wisdom. But a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous knows what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. I still believe in 21st century America that people are looking for those who have wisdom. 
Wisdom coming from your mouth will still bring favor on your job. Wisdom from your mouth will bring favor, come on, husbands, to your wives and girlfriends. How many men need some wisdom in how they talk? Oh, man, it gets quiet when I talk like that. I need some husbands. Come on, husbands, amen. We need some wisdom on how we talk. Parents, we need wisdom to talk to our children. The Bible says from the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom. And you know what? I do believe that the perverse tongue will be stopped. Right now, they may be uh, top-selling, you know, albums. People may be buying these perverted singers. They may be buying their perverted uh, movies with all this cursing in it. But one day, these mouths will be stopped. But the fruit of wisdom, the words that we have said, will last for eternity. Think of it like this. When I speak wisdom, it's true in heaven for all of eternity and upon this earth. But the foolishness of men is evaporated from this earth and forgotten. Give you an example. In the kingdom of God, we will not be talking about Hitler, but we will be talking about the wise things we did upon this earth. We will not be talking about Trump. We will not be talking about the riches of this world, but we'll be telling the stories of God's wisdom upon this earth. Think about that. Our wisdom from God's uh, spirit will last for eternity. So when we look at the Bible, do you now see a good sermon series here to apply to our the, the fruit as we're abiding in Christ? Do you see applications? Do you see things in your life that you want to grow in as you're abiding? Do you see the need for the fruit of the Spirit to continue to grow in your life? Do you see the need to be successful in ministry, to bear healthy fruit by making other disciples? Do you see a need to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing God in every way with every good work? Do you see a need for prosperity and success in your life to bear that as a good fruit? And wisdom, speaking the right words in season and out of season. Can I hear an amen? This sermon series will be for you. We then get to the painful one, which I uh, I have to be careful about how I put up my sermons on Facebook because everybody say prune, snip, 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 means to cut off. See, part of what we hear in this beautiful story of the vine, the branches and bearing fruit, is that there is a pruning that's going on. And so I don't know if I put up next week the sermon title, Abide, and then I put underneath it, God prunes you because he loves you. Are you going to come? Or do I need to put on next week, come next week abiding, learn how to prosper in the kingdom? I wonder if my sermon title on Facebook, Come Prosper in the Kingdom, will get more likes than my sermon title that I put on Facebook, Come Get Pruned for Jesus. But I want to let you know that being pruned doesn't mean you get saved again and again and again. See, because if you look at Jesus talking here in John uh, 15, 2, uh, John 15, 3 rather, he says, you are already clean. This is a position of holiness, righteousness, perfection in Christ that we've already talked about before. So he is speaking to people who are holy, like we read before in Colossians, to God's holy people, to those who are faithful. So this is going to help us understand how we live it out through the holiness that we have. Sometimes we produce branches that need to be cut out of our life and God has to come and prune them so that we bear more fruit. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away. He takes away. And every branch, everybody say every branch. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So if you think because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I'll never get pruned, you're wrong. 
See, those of us who are righteous in Christ Jesus may still make mistakes. We still may have issues in our life, and God will deal with them. But it's not for our cleansing and our righteous stance with God. That's why he clarifies the verse after. He says, you know, I'm going to prune you guys so you can bear more fruit. He says, you're already clean, though because of the word I have spoken to you. So this is where we want to differentiate and how people look at sanctification. We're not believing that you are a dirty little old vine and you started off as a dirty, rotten sinner and now for the rest of your life, God's going to be pruning your vine and it's like a progress bar at the computer. You're like 20% pure after a few years and then you're 30% pure and then you're 80. Are you getting that? That's not what he's saying. He says, I'm going to be pruning you, but the whole time you're clean. Now, is that a contradiction? No. What he is saying is positionally, you are clean. In your nature, you are clean, but you don't always act like it. You don't always speak the words of wisdom. Sometimes you speak the words of folly. And like Mr. T, I pity the fool. Jesus pities you. Amen. How many are happy Jesus is like Mr. T and pity the fool? Anybody remember Mr. T? Are you guys up? This Is this on? Come on. Are you guys here? I pity the fool. And Jesus is like Mr. T. He pities the fool. Mr. T is a Christian, and that's where he got it from, by the way, because that's what the book of Proverbs says. And so anyways, we look at this and we can now understand, oh, I get it. My identity in Christ is I'm a branch. I'm a clean and holy branch, but I don't always act like it. And when I don't act like it and I set up bad habits, bad mindsets, bad words, or bad thinking and bad talking, God's going to come around and prune me. And guess what? He prunes those he loves. So those who may think, man, I don't want to be pruned, Jesus. I don't want to be pruned. Then you know what? If you don't let Jesus prune you, can I talk in King James? Somebody say preach it. If you don't let Jesus prune you, you are a bastard child. That is a tough word, but it is in the King James, and it helps us understand what it is. To quickly turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 in closing here, because I wanted to just take today to set up the message. We'll have a tight closing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be tight and right. But look at right here. In this passage of Hebrews chapter 12, God talks about, um, the writer talks about us being disciplined. And look at what the King James says right here. Look at verse 8. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, if you be without discipline, if you be without pruning, whereof all are partakers, then ye are what? Bastards. Come on, say it in church. Ye are bastards and not sons. So if you say, I don't want to be pruned by Jesus, I don't want him to take these things out of my life, I want him to love everything I do, even as nasty as it is, you are behaving as a bastard. Oh, that's a big word, and it makes me sound like I'm cussing right now. I don't even feel comfortable saying it because we were all taught not to say that word, but it's a real word, and it has a real definition. And I want to say it not just for shock value, but that it will be in your heart. Your father is not an absentee father. Some of you might have grown up without a good father. Those who did, you were blessed. Some did not. But listen to me. You are not with an absentee father. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be in your life. And him disciplining you, him pruning you, shows you that he loves you. Don't run from the discipline. Verse 9, furthermore, we we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more be in subjection unto this father of spirits and live? Excuse me. Who is the gardener? 
Who is the gardener? Who is the wine, the vine dresser? The Father. Who is the one that disciplines us? Who is the one that prunes us? The Father. You guys are confused. It's the same person every question I ask. Let's start again. Who is the gardener? The Father. Who is the vine dresser? The Father. Who prunes us? And so what does that make you then? A son or a daughter. Not a bastard child. And if you did not grow up with your father, please don't hear me mocking you or, or belittling you. God is the fa- the Bible says he is the father to the fatherless. But this is true because I as a pastor have been in many young men's lives and they only grew up with the mother and they didn't like the way I would discipline or teach them in the church. And they would not like it at first, but over time they would listen and it would change their life. And they would say, I'm so glad you did that. And the reason is, is because I'm not a woman, I'm a man and I teach like a man. Sometimes my wife, she's always soft on the kids, but I got to say, hey, let them fall from that monkey bar. Let them fall off that slide. Let them get dirty because they need to learn how it is to get back up. You understand? understand? See, men teach differently than women. I'm not going to come out as a woman, by the way. How many are happy I don't have a marriage relationship like the Kardashians? Amen. This is a church where we still believe in the roles of men and women. Women can be strong, and God bless every single mom here. Listen to me. Yes, you're strong, and you can do many things for God, but don't you agree with me that God had called the man to be a man? And so your father wants to discipline you. He wants to prune you. Even our dear old saint right here, God wants to prune you. There was a story of a beautiful old nun, probably just like yourself, you know. I don't want to say old in a bad way, but hear my heart. And she was being talked to by some of the people in the church, and they said, Sister, do you ever have to repent anymore? Do you ever have to come to God and ask him to change you? And you know what she said? And I know you don't talk like this, but she said, Well, that's a good question because I was sitting here in the church and I looked up at the the windows and I saw how dirty they were. And the whole time the father was talking, I was so mad at those sisters for not cleaning that window. I had to repent for letting that distract me. It doesn't matter how old you are or how religious you are. If you're honest with yourself, there are things God has to change. Is that okay? Is God still changing you? Amen. He's still changing my mom, and she's 72. Amen. You and my mom can hang out one day and tell the stories of God's faithfulness. But I want to look to every young person right here. Don't think you get to make excuses either and say, well, I'm just young and dumb, and God will understand. No, God wants to prune out the attitude of rebellion, self-reliance. He wants to prune out perversion and give you stability and purity and honor and integrity. Everybody say prune. That's going to be a great message. We'll be talking about that. And then abide. Last but not least, we know that Christ called us to abide. Can I have Rachel come to the keyboard, please? You see, when you look at those ten instances in this passage, the key to all of this is abiding. It's not the afterthought. It's not the thing that Jesus is doing to say, well, we got to think of a way to get more fruit into the, into the barn, so what do we got to do? No, no, no. It's actually the main purpose. Fruit is the subsequent action. In other words, the foundation of our walk with God is abiding and loving and being with him, not doing things for him. Remember the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible? One is so busy working in the house. Remember, just imagine this. Jesus is at your house, okay? 
imagine what is any good woman going to do here? Oh my gosh, I got to clean. I got to get this ready. Jesus, what else do you need? You need you need some more wine, Jesus. You need some more food. What do you need, Jesus, right? And there's one woman just sitting at Jesus' feet. And the one who's wandering around doing all of her stuff, she goes, Jesus, tell my sister to get up off her lazy behind and get with me in the kitchen because we got more work to do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, Mary. Martha has chosen what is right. Martha, Mary, which one? I was purposely not naming them because I didn't know which one was which. Then I got to this point, and I said, I'm just going to go for it now. I got a 50-50 chance, and I'm feeling it, and I went for one. Now I'm confused. Which one's sitting at the feet? Mary, boom. So he says to Martha, the busy Martha, right? He says, busy Martha, you're concerned about many things, but there's only one thing that's important, and Mary has chosen it. See, what we learned from that example that I butchered pretty bad, what we learned, though, is that we need to be like Mary's at Jesus' feet. Yes, I want to prosper in life. Yes, I want to do good works. Yeah, I know you do too. Yes, I want to have a successful ministry. Of course, I want to bear all of this in my life. But first and foremost, I need to abide. I need to abide. Ten times, abide, abide, abide. And what does abiding have to do with? It has to do with love. Somebody say love. Look at this passage, the last part again, and see if you can catch it. It's so profound. Yet it's so simple, everybody here should get it. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my good works. Abide in all the things I got for you to do. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there's an a connection to our obedience, yes, because if I say I love my wife and I keep cheating on her, that's not real love, right? If I say I love you as your pastor and I'm smoking dope the night before, I don't really love you, do I? If I'm stealing the money, going gambling, making it rain in the club with your offering, I don't love you, right? But if I love my wife, I do things for her. If I love my kids, I do things for them. Not because it's written down in black and white. Not because there's some marriage certificate that says to death do us part. That won't keep me from cheating. But my love will. Hello? I'm not a good parent today because some law is written in Springfield that says if I neglect my kids, I go to jail. I'm a good parent today because I love them. I don't steal from the church. I don't use the church, not because I'm afraid of going to jail. I do it because I, I live right, because I love you. Law will never change a person's heart. You can make laws all day for the lawless, and they'll keep breaking more and more laws. Love changes the heart. God's love. That's for the criminal. That's for the marriage. That's for the child. That's for anybody today that's breaking the laws of God. If you come to his love, his love will change you. You see, when I became a Christian, I didn't now look at the things I was doing as sin and go, oh, those things look dumb now. I don't want to do that. No, what happened was God changed my appetites and he gave me a desire for him. And as I came to him, I saw that I found fulfillment in his love that I never found in the lusts of the flesh. 
So we're trying to tell the world as Christians, don't do this, don't do this. And there's a truth to that. we got to let them know the laws of God. But we got to remind them that the only one that keeps the laws of God are those who abide in the love of God. You see, as I went on a diet and I have lost 60 pounds, this today, November, makes a year of losing weight, 60 pounds. Glory to God. Can we give it up for Jesus? Thank you, Lord. 60 pounds. Started at 286. Now I weigh 226. One pound from my goal of 225. When I first started watching what I ate, I had cravings for everything that I always used to eat. Everything that I wanted. Pizza, fried food, the French fries, the McDonald's. You guys know what I'm talking about. We've all tried to lose weight before. All those cravings. And when I would eat the broccoli, eat the cereal, eat the, uh, I mean, that's a cereal, which I did eat. But uh, the oatmeal and the eggs and whatever, whatever, the chicken breast, you know, it just doesn't taste the same. It's not as good. And I don't care how much spice you put on it, how much panko, whatever you put on it. It just wasn't doing it for me. But I kept eating it. And then my appetites changed. My appetite changed. I wake up yearning for fruit. I yearn for vegetables. Now when I go out and I eat pizza, I feel that disgusting feeling. I feel like it doesn't belong. It doesn't feel right. You try to start working out every day, you just get tired. You're tired. You're sore. Everything is sore. Seriously, from your, from your backside, you can't even sit down. It hurts. You know what I'm talking about. Your thighs hurt. Your arms hurt. Your hands hurt. Your wrists hurt. You're tired. You just don't want to do it anymore. But your body gets over that, and it develops its momentum. Then the body that stays in motion wants to be in motion. And then now if I miss a day of working out, it doesn't feel right. You see, what happens is... I don't have to look at my wife and say, give me a list of rules so I'll never cheat on you. I look at her and fall in love with her, and then nothing else compares to her. The woman I see on the magazine doesn't compare to her because I've fallen in love with her. See, the world offers us things and says, don't abide with Jesus. Come abide with us. Don't stay here. Be with us. Don't be a fruitful vine in God's vineyard. Be with us. And what God is saying, this is the only place that satisfies your soul. And for some of us, it's a tug of war. And for some of us, when God prunes things, it hurts so bad that we get mad at God. God, why did you take that out of my life? God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you taking out that relationship? Why are you switching these things around? Why don't I have the money that I used to? Whatever. And God is saying, I am taking away your dependence on those things and making you dependent upon me. We shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking our sins and our ways and our desires are actually what our soul needs. What our soul needs is more of God. Now, he said we need to keep his commands, but what did he say are the greatest commands? To love God with all your heart, to love people as yourself. So what does it mean? In other words, love equals obedience to God's commands. If I love God with all my heart, I put nothing before him, not false religion, not my job, not family, not even my own life, or my dreams and ambitions. If I love people as myself, I'll always forgive them. I'll treat them the way I want to be treated. I'll be a good Samaritan. I'll pray and preach the gospel. Now think about this. When Jesus gave us all of his commands... It was still based in love. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Not go to church on Sundays, read five chapters of your Bible and pray for an hour. No, he said, love me. That's the greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. 
You don't have to, you know, cut their grass, watch their kids, clean their boogies off their nose. No, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you do, the law and the prophets, all of those things, all the law and prophets, hang on those two commands. Because if you love your neighbor, you will help your neighbor. If you care about what God thinks, you won't break his commandments. Do you know how many commandments there are in the New Testament? 1,050. Somebody took the time to do it. You can click there and see it for yourself. And what did Jesus say the most important one was? What did he say the most important one was? How am I going to keep these 1,050 commands? To be as harmless as a dove, be merciful, be patient, be transformed, be unmovable, be steadfast, be anxious for nothing. I mean, just look at 1,050 commands in the New Testament. 1,050 commands. And what did he say? Abide in my love. Abide in my love. I don't know if I can remember all these commands. Okay, let me simplify it for you, Peter the fisherman. Let me simplify it for you, Matthew the tax collector. Let me simplify what you're going to hear through all the law and the prophets. Love God. Love him. With everything in your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You think somebody walked away that day going, hey, I got that? They did. We're halfway through 1,050 commandments of the New Testament. How many are glad I'm not going through them today? (laughs) It's on there. You can go back and check. The beautiful thing that we learn today as Christians is not that God is saying these commands are not important, but he is saying one is more important than all the rest, or two, rather, are more important. They're based in love. So as we come to a close and get ready to prepare our hearts for this season, I want to ask you to really look at what abiding means. Go back over that passage. Listen to Jesus say it ten times. It was obviously important. Because here's what I would summarize it as. Abiding in Jesus is based on his love first for us. And then the love we have for him. Our love cannot be shallow. Rather, it must be evidenced by our obedience to his commands. So that's what we're going to do these next two months. We're going to take a journey of abiding, trusting him, letting him prune some stuff out of our life to grow the good things. Can I get an amen? Would you stand up with me and bless the Lord today for his word? Amen. Altar workers, would you come, please? Would you just stand with me in an attitude of prayer? And I want to start with those who here today may not be in a relationship with God, just in an attitude of prayer, would you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and make you a new creation as a branch in his vine right now? Would you do that? Ask God to make you a new person so that you might be born again. Being born again is how you get engrafted in to the the vine, into the vineyard. So right now, if there's anybody here and you have not been grafted in, in your heart, would you take these moments just to think about Jesus and what he's done for you and say, Lord, I want to be engrafted in. I want to be in your kingdom. Now, as they're doing that for the rest of us, those of us who have already been engrafted in, what areas of your life do you think God is going to change in these next two months? What are some things that just stick out to you right now? Maybe there is a development that needs to happen, like a growth of a fruit. 
and then there needs to be a pruning of something bad. It could be both. It could be one or the other. Think about that. Are there new things God needs to develop and cultivate in you? What are those things? Start to set that as the desire of your heart in the time of prayer right now. If you've been really, you know, struggling financially and you want to see God prosper you, just start to believe God with me right now. Just, Lord, I'm trusting you, trusting that your stream of living water is going to prosper my life, that my leaf's not going to wither. God, I'm believing for a new job, a new raise or something. You know, if it's finances, pray like that. If it's for your marriage, you know, a family, God, I'm believing this for my kids. I'm believing this for my marriage. Lord, I need this fruit of blessing to come in my life. I've always told people, you can fall in love and you can fall out of love, but true love is built. True love is built and nurtured. And that's the same thing as we're talking about here. You know what? Being a parent's not going to happen by accident. You've got to cultivate that, parents. Being educated, going to school, upgrading your life, that's not going to happen by accident. That's going to take work. But God will cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, patience, long-suffering, self-control. He'll give you wisdom. I mean, all of that is going to come. Is that what you need? Ask for those things. Or do you need to have uh, something pruned? You know, it could be both. You need fruit and pruning. But think about pruning right now. Are there things that you're just sick and tired of in your life? Bad habits, um, easily angered, things that you're doing that the Bible calls sin, whatever it is. And right now, you're going to set your heart on, on God pruning that. You're ready. You're saying, I'm going to take this journey. I'm going to go through this sermon series. And I know I'm getting pruned. I know he's going to deal with me here. But I'm ready. I surrender. I give it up. Rachel's going to sing just a song in the spirit, just from her own heart. As she does, can we just do those things that I've talked about? Those who need to be saved, ask Jesus to save you. Those who need cultivation of new things in your life, ask him to do it. And those who need things pruned out of your heart, would you do that now? We need you, God. We need you, God. I need you, Lord. We need you, God. We need your spirit. We're here today because we believe, God. Find all I need, all I need in you, Lord. I'm in you, Jesus. Some of you have enough uh, journey with the Lord. You can only look back and see all the good fruit. Maybe some of you just want to say thank you right now for the fruit that you're already enjoying from the Lord. That's what started to come into my mind, you know. So you could be thankful in these moments right now. Just saying, Lord, thank you. Thankful. I'm so thankful that all you've done. You're going to be faithful. I know you're not leaving me alone now. You're still watching over me, God. If you've done it this far and been this good, you're not going to let me down now. Jesus, we want to be fruitful vines in your vineyard. We want to abide in you. We want to abide with Jesus. We want to be connected to you today. We're not leaving. We're not giving up. Even if sometimes it doesn't go our way, we're staying. Just a few more moments right now. Come on, let's talk to Jesus. Thank you, 
Lord. I'm going to ask Lily to close us in prayer. As she does, would you just think about those things and prepare your heart for this uh, next couple of months? And then when she closes out, if you need prayer, come up. They'll pray with you. Our prayer workers, oh, we'll just worship together if you want to stay up here and just hang out with Jesus. Otherwise, after she prays, we will be dismissed. And I pray that you'll go through those uh, that passage and go through those words of Jesus and come ready for all of the messages we're going to hear on abiding. God, we thank you so much, Lord God, for being able to be here and just continuing to abide with you and abide in your presence, God. I pray, Lord God, that over this next sermon series, Father God, that we would all grow close, closer to you in our walks, that we would all grow closer to you, Father God, in everything that we do, Lord God. I pray for a greater intimacy, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to keep us in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say, let's bear some fruit. Have a great day. Come up for prayer as we worship. Otherwise, you're dismissed. The cafe's open. We'll see you at Life Groups. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. Think about that. If you want to hang out with us, we call this the after party. Those who got to go, God bless you. But those who are singing it, think about it. No place I'd rather be. See, we're abiding with Jesus. No place I'd rather be than here in your love. Let's sing that again. No place I'd rather be. We love you, God. part together set a fire if you need prayer come on up or otherwise just worship with us what a great song to end with right those who are hanging out we just want more of you set a fire set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain that I can't control I want more of you Come on, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be. We love you so much today. This is the place I want to be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be. Oh God, you got it all for us. Change our appetites. One more time. That was just that word, that verse is just blessing me. Because he's changing us in this place of surrender. He's making us have a new appetite. He's opening our eyes. Oh, then here in set a fire down in my soul. Set a fire down in my soul. That I can't contain. That I can't control. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. And I want more of you. Just sing that last part. And I want more of you, God. And I want more. Thank you. Come on, we're singing it out. And I want more of you, God. And I want more of you. 
so much more. I want more, more of you, of you in my family. I want more, more of you on my job, oh Lord. I want more Lord, be with God. me as I go to school. If you can I hear me, any elder or deacon or just anybody who wants to pray for me, would you come and lay your hands on me as we just God. sing more of you? Because we're going to pray for my schooling, that I'll do well this week. take him this far, I pray, God, that he will look at his process as just another stepping stone. And I pray, God, that you would just continue to fill him with wisdom, strength, perseverance, Lord God, confidence, knowing, Lord, that you are right there with him as he is studying, giving him revelation, giving him insights of your truth, oh God. I thank you, God, for the anointing over his life. I just pray for a double portion of it more, God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you're taking him to higher levels, God. And I thank you for that. I pray that he would just embrace it. That he would just receive all that you're giving him, Lord God. And I just pray at moments where he might feel anxious or stressed, or God, or worry, Lord, that you will come forth and remind him, I'm here. I'm here. I've taken you this far. For a reason, Lord, I pray I thank you, Lord God. Bless him as he goes, Lord God. I pray for balance. I pray for, uh, 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 Lord God, uh, against distraction, Lord God, that he'll be able still to manage everything, God, that you've given him, Lord God, from church, from being a father and a husband and and, uh, and pastoring, Lord God. Thank you for all that you're doing in and through him, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And can we sing that song that you wrote? I was made. To praise you, and I was made to know you, and I was made to love you. I am yours. This is a song that Rachel wrote. It is so powerful. If you can hear him, if you're still in here, I was made to praise you. Think about that this month, about the vine and the branches and the fruit. <laughs> you were made for this. This is what you and I were made for. No cheap imitations, baby. This is it. I am yours. Just a few more times I was made to praise you. I need it. I was, was 